It's good to be together again. I know these are unusual circumstances. This is the third week that we've connected like this. And I just picture you in this room because I miss you and I love you. But we're also so grateful for the opportunity to do this, that God has given us the technology. Thank you for taking time today as well. Uh, we're grateful for our mayor and our governor who have given us permission to continue in this ministry. And who knew that when we started this series that we would have a time like this? I don't think anyone anticipated it. And as we've been walking through this series, it's been interesting how the Bible passages really fit our situation as well. Uh, God does go before us. But as we go through this together, right now, over a third of the world is facing restrictions in their lifestyle because of this virus. And we know that in Spain and Italy, uh, there's over 15,000 deaths in those countries. We need to be praying, not just for our own country, but for other nations as well. And maybe you're feeling the effects. Uh, maybe you've lost your job or you're fearful. You're scared at times that you might lose your job. Uh, maybe you're getting lonely and feeling isolated, just feeling like we've been in the house for months. Uh, maybe you're thinking about catching and uh, what would happen if you actually caught the virus. There are so many thoughts going through our minds and we're all wondering how long is this going to last? And the truth is we just don't know. So what can we do during times like this? And what we try to emphasize, one thing is prayer. 24-7 prayer, that's for our entire church family. And if you've never been to Grace, uh, we welcome you to enter in to prayer with us. 24-7 prayer where you choose a half an hour during the week. And hopefully that week is a, that half hour is a catalyst for during the week, more prayer. Say, well, why would we do this? Because at the heart of 24-7 prayer is God's presence. We believe there's nothing greater than the presence of God in our lives. And we seek God together. He is gracious. We can draw near to God. Anytime you want to draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It's God's presence that brings hope and peace and revival and awakening. God's presence. That's why we pray. And we're, we're hungry for God's presence during this time. We also want to continue to stay close together. You probably noticed, but we're sending out emails, uh, Facebook Live, social media, videos, texts. There's so many things happening right now. Why? Because we want to communicate. We want to communicate well, clearly. We want to connect with you. We want to have two-way communication. Right now, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you can leave any prayer requests as comments and we'll pray for you. Our prayer teams are active. Our pastors, very involved right now. Our staff as well very diligent. And then also in the, if you're watching in, in the chat room, if you're looking online right there off our website, you can leave prayer requests, comments. We want to be as close as we can. This is what I'm noticing, that even during a time like this, we are seeking God's presence and experiencing more of God in our lives. And our unity and our togetherness is growing, even though there's some distance and it doesn't look like what it usually does. I see people really coming together. And that's encouraging because I believe this this virus doesn't have the final say. I believe this virus will pass. And Jesus is greater. God's love is greater than anything we're facing right now. And I know there's a lot of attention as there needs to be on this virus and the movement of this virus and what's happening. But can we lift our eyes up to God? Can we lift our eyes up to Jesus and remember that Jesus has a movement that's greater than the movement of this virus right now? Jesus has awakening. Jesus is trustworthy and we worship him together. Let's uh, draw close to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for being with us. We thank you that you don't forsake us or leave us, that your promises are strong. They're constant. You are faithful. 
And God, as right now our lives feel different, and there's different rhythms, and we're getting a lot of time in quiet. There's more solitude. Our lives have simplified right now, God. And with that, we become more still, and we're listening more to you, and we're receiving from you. And we pray that you would direct our paths, that you would strengthen us in our weakness, and instead of fears and worries, there would be calm, there would be composure. Uh, God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see who's in need and to reach out to them. Maybe a phone call, maybe picking up their groceries. Lead and guide us together, Lord, that we would be in step with you. We'd be abiding, we'd be responding. And we thank you for your goodness to us. Even right now, we feel your goodness to us. And we thank you, Lord, for perseverance that comes from you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A resilient Savior leads a resilient movement full of resilient followers of God. Now think about that. Who is Jesus? He's resilient and he's leading a movement. We see it right now. This movement is powerful. It's growing. His love continues to spread. It's resilient. And then also we're resilient because we're made in God's image. That's who we are. And we find our resilience in Jesus by drawing close to him. We become more resilient in terms of what we're facing. When you think about uh, God's movement, that won't be stopped. It's an unstoppable movement. You say, well, what is Christianity? Christianity is not a building. It's not just a tradition. It's not an institution. It is living and active, a movement of changed lives. It's a movement of people who connect with and love God and receive his love and follow Jesus. And this movement will never be stopped. And let's be encouraged today with three different aspects of Jesus' resilient movement and three questions you can consider. What did Jesus start? What does Jesus sustain right now? And then also, what does Jesus secure? Let's look at those questions together as we dive into God's word. What did Jesus start? What does he sustain? What does he secure? And I think you're going to be very encouraged when you, uh, when together, we look to Jesus, who he really is, what he's really doing, and what he's made us to also do as we follow him. Uh, the first question, what did Jesus start? And with this, uh, a lot of times it's easy to try to shrink who Jesus is and the movement that he started. And sometimes when we're in our routine, we think, oh, it's just about going to church. Or, oh, okay, going to my Bible study, there's that part too. Sometimes we try to shrink it into, oh, it's just trying to do good things. It's just trying to be nice to people. Oh, it's just trying to read your Bible a few times. And what happens is we start to shrink our view of the Savior and the movement that he brought. And he didn't bring something small. He brought something powerful. And with that, uh, we need to rethink our faith and make sure there's a solid foundation that's biblical. And maybe this is all new and you're watching today and you're just curious about Jesus. We're so glad you're here. And maybe your faith is uh, new to you. You've been following Jesus recently for a few years and you're really just taking in both the daily walk with God and the big picture. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for decades and it's time to reestablish, recalibrate that foundation during this season right now. Well, let's take a look at John chapter 4. And starting in th verse 34, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
Now, the context is that Jesus was just talking to this woman who's a Samaritan. She was gathering water at the well, and she was a woman that people would avoid. And she would be avoided by Jewish people because she was a Samaritan. Also, rabbis wouldn't have a conversation with a woman during the day. She was also divorced five times, had five different husbands. Now she's with another man. She's known around town of having a lot of sin in her life. And most people want to avoid her. But here's the movement of Jesus. It is a new love and it is a radical love. And when the world says, well, who's going to love them? Jesus is pursuing that person. Because why? Christianity brings a new love in a radical love and also a love that transformed lives. This woman has tried everything the world has to offer and there's an emptiness there. That was my story. I mean, for 18 years, whatever the world offers, that's what I want. And I couldn't figure out what is this emptiness. God wasn't even on my radar at that time. But Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy us ultimately in the deepest places. And this woman, for the first time, she's not thirsty anymore in her soul because she's experienced the living water of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, Christianity is a movement where there's a new and radical love, there's transformed lives, and this woman is going to spread the good news. She's going to tell the people in her life, her friends, her family, she's going to tell the people around town, they know her story, and now there's something new, and it's Jesus, and things are spreading. It's organic, it's pure, it's wonderful, it's exciting. This is the movement that Jesus started. This is the movement Jesus brings into our hearts, into our souls. And he's telling this to the disciples. Because they're following the Lord, but they don't get it. The woman gets it. The disciples don't get it. Jesus says, open your eyes to the harvest. Start to look around. Notice people. Care for people. Notice their souls. Feed their souls. People are ready to hear about Jesus. So open your eyes and look at the harvest. But then also open your mouths and be fed. Food from heaven, not just to fill your stomachs, food from heaven that has purpose. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And what Jesus is trying to instill in their hearts is a passion for the kingdom. He's trying to revive the church. He's trying to remind his followers of this incredible movement. And the disciples are taking it in and they're not sure. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Eventually they will. But it's going to be some stumbles along the way. And we can relate. We stumble along the way. But let's go back to what did Jesus start? Who is he? What is he all about? A new and radical love transforming lives in a movement that spreads. You know, your story is important. All of us have a story. Everyone's story is significant. And our story is linked to God's story. And your story is linked to your calling. And your calling is linked to this movement. And Jesus then invited disciples to be instruments of healing and grace, and he does the same in our lives as well. Let's consider Luke chapter 24, as Jesus is again instilling a passion for his movement. In verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. At the core of this movement is who Jesus is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so we proclaim the resurrection 
Jesus is a source of peace. And this is a movement of peace, peace with God. Jesus is the source of all wisdom. And we want to spread the wisdom of God. Jesus heals, so we become a healing instrument. Uh, Jesus brings grace, so we spread his grace. Jesus is truth, so we spread truth. Everything we do is linked back to who Jesus is, in alignment with him, abiding with him. And that's how the movement works. That was the original sending out, and that's true in our lives as well. What makes Christianity unique is that uh, God's grace is in abundance, and where we sin, God's grace is greater. And grace is not earned. Grace is a gift. Jesus died on the cross. That makes Christianity unique. A Savior that would die on the cross. A Savior that would overcome the grave. The one and only Messiah. An empty tomb makes Christianity unique. This is not like a copycat of other religions. Uh, This is something brand new. A movement centered around Jesus. And he's unlike any other religious leader with his prophecy, his miracles, his teaching, his resurrection, his return, his reign. There's no one. There's no one that compares to Jesus. And they're taking this in just like we take it in. It's a movement of ordinary people. Ordinary people like us, like the disciples were. And God closes us with power from on high and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Ordinary people. Why? You glorify Jesus and walk with him and many lives are transformed with his love. That's the movement. That's the movement. Now, let's consider something called the Overton Window. And I've been uh, researching this, looking into this a little more the last two weeks because when we consider movements, I think this is an interesting tool and a perspective that is often used in terms of sociology, government, policies, what's acceptable socially, and look at some of the different words and concepts as part of this window. Something can go from unthinkable to radical, acceptable, sensible, popular, and then the policy. And when it gets to be sensible, popular, policy, that's the Overton window right there. Now, there's so many movements today. Now, you consider how things travel. What starts out as unthinkable, well, it moves right along. There's sin that we think of is that's unthinkable. Maybe a generation ago, they would say that's unthinkable. But then what happens? The sin becomes, okay, it's just radical. Then it's acceptable. Now we think, oh, part of that sin is sensible. Now it's popular. And now it's a policy. Uh, So that's one way it can travel. Uh, We see with fashion, I mean, things that are unthinkable are suddenly acceptable and then popular and then kind of an unwritten policy can happen in that way. Uh, There's laws and policies or even just think of the coronavirus. We would never imagine this a couple months ago and it's so radical, but then we start to realize and accept this is actually happening and then it's sensible to do some things and people get behind it. Now we have some policies that we never used to have. And so one thing after another, even in the church world, we see movements like multi-site. If you said 30 years ago, one church would have a couple of sites, you'd say, wait a second. And even in other states or other cities, what's going on? And that goes from unthinkable to kind of radical and acceptable, sensible, popular, and now policies. Church has incorporated that strategy. Uh, I highlight this to say, we are living in a time where there are so many movements and they're coming and going so quickly. And now this comes, and now this goes, and now this comes, and this goes, and this comes, and this goes. And they are just constant right now. The treadmill, it's, it's on high speed. And as a result, sometimes we get distracted. 
and our passions are just spread out over so many different movements. Sometimes we just get numb and we just don't even care that much. You're kind of indifferent about movements. And sometimes we're just exhausted because there's so many movements. Jesus called the disciples to come back to the movement, to recalibrate their lives. And I believe in the silence of this coronavirus and the isolation, there's a lot of resets that are happening, a lot of recalibration. What is my life all about? What's really most important? What changes lives? How important is love? Uh, what about being close with Jesus? I believe there's a lot of shifting going on right now, and we want to come back to the movement. The movement that's unstoppable. The movement that no movement is as strong. No movement is as great. No movement is as resilient as this movement. From a resilient savior, a resilient movement of followers, disciples, who are also resilient. That's an important look back because what we're going through right now, we need to have that foundation. We need to understand who Jesus is, what he's doing. And that leads us into our present time. What does Jesus sustain? What does Jesus sustain? In other words, how resilient is God's plan during times like this? You know, our family is spending a lot more time together, a lot of family bonding, a lot of games. Uh, we just played a new game, Throw Throw Burrito. Have never played that before, but anytime burritos are being thrown, even if they're plastic, that's going to be popular right there. Uh, another activity we've been doing are some puzzles. And we got a puzzle, and you'll see, picture of the family gathered around the puzzle. It's kind of like a movement. You know, you open up that box, and everyone starts getting involved. And it took us about two weeks. We've given it to a neighbor and they did it in one day. They just stayed up till midnight. So maybe we're a little slow, but it's social and we're thinking it over. We're talking, we're being together. And this puzzle right here, eventually we completed it and take a look at the picture. Now on first glance, it looks like it's all finished and there's a thousand pieces. But I want to tell you, if you look closely, there's five pieces missing. That puzzle is actually 995 pieces. And we've been thinking about what could possibly have happened to the five pieces that are missing. Because we opened up the puzzle, unwrapped it, and then laid it out on the table, never moved it. And when we put it together, those pieces were gone. We searched the house high and low, could not find those five pieces. So one of two theories. One is that the people, the company that put it together, they did not actually make the five pieces. That's one theory. The second theory is, well, 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 what do we have here? Bella making an appearance again. Uh, did Bella eat the five pieces? Our family leans towards, we want to assume the best. We appreciate our dog. Nice companionship. But our family is all thinking Bella ate the five pieces. Why? Because that's the same table. Bella is always looking for crumbs. That's the same table that Bella will sneak up on the table. If no one's looking, Bella's hungry. She likes little snacks, different shapes, small snacks. We think Bella ate the five pieces. And when you put a lot of time and energy two weeks into a puzzle and you feel like you're getting close and you search high and low and five pieces are missing, you just kind of feel stuck and maybe in life you feel kind of stuck. And sometimes in our faith we feel stuck. And like, what's going on? Where's the breakthrough? Where's the completion? This is not what I had planned. And I want to tell you that the battle's real. The battle's real. Evil's real. Devils and demons are real. Opposition is real. 
So the battle's real. And sometimes in the movement, you feel like something's missing. It's stuck. Sometimes the cost is high. You know, when we talk about being resilient, that doesn't mean that we're always going to walk through things unscathed. There could be scars. There could be some pain. There could be people who die. You can love God and follow God and still be killed. From the early disciples till now, it doesn't mean resilient does not mean unscathed. And also resilient does not mean that we don't have any weaknesses. That's not what it means. In fact, God invites us to bring our weaknesses to him and then his power takes over. So don't have a false view of resilient, but at the same time, in life, when we're going through it, we sometimes wonder, why is this happening? I mean, before the coronavirus broke out, you know what I saw? More people praying at our church. I saw Tuesday night gatherings. I saw hundreds of people saying yes for awakening. I was at a conference where pastors all around the sound were coming together. And the people who came from out of town said, I've never seen such unity in the sound right now, in a vision for awakening and what could happen in the sound in this season. And then the coronavirus came. And you kind of think, well, what do we do now? What does it look like to be resilient? It feels like someone just ate five pieces of the puzzle. And how do we proceed at this time? And that's something that we're wrestling with. That's something that the disciples were wrestling with. But uh, I want to go back to Acts chapter 5. And this is an encouragement and a comfort. And this is what Gamaliel said. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. And Gamaliel was one that looks like he's kind of opposing Jesus in the movement. But at the same time, everyone honored Gamaliel and they wanted to kill the apostles. They were on the verge of killing Peter and the apostles and Gamaliel spoke up. And this is what he said. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And he referred to two other movements that appeared to really grow quickly and then die. And he said, look, if God's not in it, it's going to die. It's going to fade. But if God's in it, you'll just be going against God. Now they did beat up the apostles and they wounded them. But you know what? The apostles, they thank God that they could suffer for the name of Jesus. They continued to share their faith and go from house to house and fill the town with the good news of Jesus. Let's be inspired by their resiliency as well. And it's just a reminder, as Gamaliel says, I mean, this is someone not following Jesus, and he knows that Jesus' movement, all right, it's going to be unstoppable if God's in it. And that's what it is. That's what it is. I remember when I worked as a camp counselor and there was a challenge we would give the kids in the cabin. It was a stream. It was Mount Hermon Christian Camp and a stream that looked like, I don't know, maybe you could stop it. And we'd say, all right, kids, if you can stop it tonight, you know what? We'll give you pizza, ice cream, soda, whatever you want. And they would work so hard and we just kicked back. Why? We knew. You can't stop that stream. And they would put rocks and mud and gather more and sand and they would pile it up and they would bring more and more. It's like, no, stream never stopped. And I believe God wants us to have a confidence, a rest, a trust that no matter what breaks out, we know Jesus can't be stopped. And when you feel that, then uh, you don't have a defeated spirit. But instead, uh, you start to look for opportunities. C.T. Studd said, God does not want us to be nibblers of the possible, but grabbers of the impossible. 
Not nibblers of the possible, but grabbers of the impossible. In other words, in a time like this, let's be proactive. Let's be full of faith. Let's make the most of our opportunities together, which are special in this time. Now, here's a fresh vision of being resilient. And what am I seeing right now that encourages me so much? Because I'm seeing people step up in amazing ways. Uh, One way is old school phone calls. Like think of the phone tree. When you call someone and then they call someone, our elders picked about a hundred leaders and made phone calls. And now leaders are making more phone calls. And it's like an old school phone tree. Uh, I was in a gathering. It was an online digital gathering, about 80 pastors across the nation sharing ideas. And then afterwards it was like, okay, what idea stood out to you? And, And you know what the pastor was asked said? The phone calls. The phone calls, that personal connection to talk to someone, see how they're doing, pray together. I'm seeing that resiliency through phone calls. Also, I think of prayer and in homes. And it could be uh, you're single and you're praying more alone. Or it could be you have family in the home and you're praying more with family. I believe that there is a, a wonderful shift that not only are we thinking about church buildings now, but we're thinking about homes. And when I read the Bible, I see in homes, in homes, in homes, from house to house, the homes being a spiritual hub. And what a shift from, you know, home being a place that's kind of lukewarm spiritually to a home being a place that's fervent and vibrant spiritually. That's amazing. It happening right now. Incredible shift. And I see that. I see our groups right now meeting through Zoom. Many people have not even gone online before, are connecting through Zoom. That's resiliency. I see people uh, loving their neighbors, going out of their way to their neighbors, and even picking up groceries, doing different things to help their neighbors. I see people in our church sewing masks. Take a look at this picture right here, and look at those masks. Those will go to hospitals, medical centers. In fact, I was reading this week around the country right now. There's what's called sewing armies. And this is a quote from Denise Voss, who is one of the leaders in the American Sewing Guild. And these masks go to medical centers. Now, of course, they're not quite as nice as the N95 masks and some of the more expensive masks, but they are so helpful. They're so practical and they're making a difference. And Denise says, we have always stepped up. Sewers have always stepped up. We're happy to stay home and sew and we have stashes of fabric. They are ready for this. And in fact, she ends it by saying, we're made for this time. We're made for this time. That's what the sowers are saying. Let's follow the example of the sowers right now in terms of resiliency. Uh, I also see people getting into God's word. Our church is going through a Luke 24 challenge. This will be Luke chapter 10 today, leading up to Easter. There's a lot of people diving into God's word, buying a Bible, getting a Bible, getting a Bible for a friend, talking about the Bible with the extra time. You know, maybe one chapter is five minutes during the day. People are getting into God's word, which is that's where transformation happens. Also, uh, weekend services. I'm so glad we're connecting with so many people we never connect with that are happening right now. It's an incredible time. A digital ministry is breaking out and we're grateful for that. All, so many different examples. You know, do we need to take safety first? Yes. Do we need to take precautions? Yes. Do we honor restrictions? Yes. Wise restrictions are good. But at the same time, we're made for this. The light and love of Jesus shines in times like this. Uh, There's no guarantee that things are going to get easier right now. There's no guarantee. We don't know what's coming up. 
but let's grow. Let's grow during this time. And uh, when I think about how things often happen in our country, they happen with a loud bang and lots of noise and the coolest and the latest. But right now, God's doing a lot in the silence, in the whisper, and listening for his voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. That's a shift. A lot of listening going on right now. I think of a lot of people that just run solo and want instant results and want it to happen easy. And sometimes God does work when, when we're running for something, it happens quickly. But you know what else we're learning more? I think right now is that some things are not easy. And even if they don't get easier, God is still faithful. And some things take time. And we need to come together in ways that we've never come together before. There's a lot we're learning right now and growing right now. Uh, Christianity is not a corporation. It's not a military endeavor. It's not an economic thrust. It's not political movement. No, that's not what Christianity is. They tried to force Jesus to be that economic leader, to take over Rome, uh, to restore things and, and take over the finances of Rome or to be you know, the political leader and all that. Jesus didn't say yes to any of that. Why? Because Christianity is a movement about people uh, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And that will never change. And I think of uh, back in the Old Testament where they would say, we want a king like the other nations. We want to have a king like the other nations. And God didn't want to give them a king because he was trying to highlight he is their king. And I think our eyes right now, again, shifting in a good way, we're realizing more and more Jesus is our king. Jesus is the leader of every church. Jesus is the leader of our lives. Jesus is the one we're going to look to more than anyone else right now. And uh, he does so much beyond what any government leader or pastor can do. We're going to look to Jesus together. And, and here's some encouragement with disruption. And it's four things at the heart of this, you say, what's so good about disruption? I want to give you these four things because I think they're very significant. The first good thing about disruption is that it increases conviction. Uh, we're doing, I don't know if I'd call it homeschooling. We're, we're doing crisis schooling at home right now. And this week we're talking about Rosa Parks. Okay, 1955. People think she was old. She was in her 40s. People think she was tired. She says, I wasn't tired. I was just tired of giving in. She had a conviction. She has a strong Christian faith. She would carry around her Bible with her. Her grandparents would pray with her, read Bible stories all the time. They'd study the Bible together, even before heading out to the cotton fields. Rosa Parks said that she knew as she prayed, God melted all her fear, gave her peace, filled her soul with peace, gave her strength to face whatever the consequences would be. She knew everyone's made in God's image. And you know what? She was going to walk in that and live in that like a free person. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. She had a conviction that led to a movement. And conviction is when you have clarity and this is a time where conviction increases. This is what's most important in life. This is who Jesus is. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to be all about. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. That conviction increases. Not so often when things are just kind of in the mundane of the routine, but in times like this, conviction increases. Also, innovation increases. Innovation. You are made in God's image to be very creative, innovative. And I see this right now in the church. You know what's happening? People are, uh, Easter's two weeks away, and there's, I'm reading about lots of people who are starting to share their stories online. I love this idea. Because we can't say come to the church building in the same way this year, but people are sharing their stories digitally. And that hashtag, Jesus changed my life. But over the next two weeks, you're going to see this. I challenge you to consider, just taking your phone, sharing your story. 
doesn't have to be all a big production or anything, just authentic. Talk about your life. What has Jesus done? The hero of your story. Share it. And then that hashtag, Jesus changed my life. And think about that. Instead of just a few people coming into churches on Easter, the good news about Jesus can spread all around Washington, California, many states right now. Innovative stuff we weren't thinking about two months ago. It's starting to break forth. Why? Because conviction's growing. Innovation's growing. Transformation can grow. This is a time where God will work on your character, make you more like Jesus, James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance finishes its work and that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm convinced we're going to become more like Jesus because of the situation that we're in right now. Say yes to God's transformation. And then I'd also say in acceleration. I see people boldly talking about Jesus that maybe were quiet before. I see a hunger right now in our world, a hunger. Why? Because there's so many more felt needs. And when you start to feel those needs, it ultimately leads you to your greatest need, which is Jesus. I'm seeing things go out online that maybe used to have 50 views are now 500 views. Things that used to have 1,000 views are now 30,000 views. It's incredible. There's a worldwide hunger right now for peace, for hope, for connection with God and seeking God. And there's an acceleration of God's work that's happening during this time. So think about those four things. Okay, conviction. What is God doing in your life? Innovation transformation, and also acceleration. These are things that Jesus does by his power and even in our weakness, and uh, they're real, uh, and it's really part of awakening, I would say. Uh, Think back in our country. There was something called the Second Great Awakening. It was the Haystack Revival. Uh, James Emery White shares about this. It was just after 1800. There were five students. This was in Massachusetts. And Revival and Awakening often start out with prayer. And they gathered to pray. There was a storm. They were forced into the barn. There was fervent prayer. And God started to move. There's a mystery with prayer. When we pray and seek God, he starts to move. And awakening broke out that included people going to India, the American Bible Society. All these incredible things happened. Williams College, back in, uh, we used to play them in soccer, back in college. Uh, It was exhibition before the season started. All this happened Uh, And yet when you go back there now, uh, and this is what the preacher said, he went back there now, he shared the gospel, and you know what people said? He was there at the chapel, the same site, the chapel where the Haystack Revival started, and he preached it, and people said, wow, we haven't heard the gospel in so long. Wow, I can't remember the last time we heard the gospel. What a shift in 200 years. Say, well, what's happening? It's so easy for us to get selfish, to get kind of sleepy, I think God is waking up his people. I think God is waking up his people. We want to repent during this time. Repent of selfishness. Repent of being sleepy. We don't repent of being scared. We want to have courage. Uh, We need to repent. God brings healing in the land when we repent. We become alive when we repent. We become vibrant when we repent. Repentance is good. It is to get rid of guilt and shame. It's not to pile it on. It's to come clean. It's to come home. And God welcomes us when we repent. Uh, Think of that question as the movement started, Jesus' life started. The question is, what good can come out of Nazareth? A savior can come out of Nazareth. A movement 
an unstoppable movement comes out of Nazareth. Well, what good can come out of the cross, Jesus' death, crucifixion? What good can come out of that? Jesus died in our place, the full payment for sins. When people look at things and say, what good could come out of that? Watch what God will do to surprise people, things we could have never planned or expected, but it's for his glory. And right now, a lot of people, what good could possibly come out of the coronavirus? I mean, it's a tragedy. Jesus murdered on the cross was a tragedy. What good could come out of a tragedy? Look for God, look for his grace, listen to his voice, let him lead and guide you. His movement is unstoppable. Jesus is changing lives today. Lift up your, God is the lifter of our heads. Let's trust the Lord. And, and I want to wrap up, and this is uh, just look forward. What is Jesus secure? And when you think about Jesus, I want you to get a picture that he's coming back. He's coming back. The end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Jesus is trustworthy and true. He's coming. He's coming back. And uh, just this description of Jesus and who he is, resilient, Uh, This is an anonymous, unknown author, but I want to read it to you and just take in who Jesus is. Born in an obscure village, child of a peasant woman, worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Three years then is an itinerant traveling preacher. He never owned a home, never held an office, never had a wife and kids, never went to college, never stepped foot inside what we would call a big city, never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born an unstoppable movement. And then popular opinion turned against him. Friends, and uh, they ran away from him. One denied him. One betrayed him, turned him over to his enemies. There was a mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. Dying, his executors gambled for his only property, a coat. And then he was killed and placed in a borrowed tomb. It looked like the end. Even his closest followers They were full of fear and despair and discouragement. They forgot who Jesus is. They forgot his word. They forgot his movement. It's unstoppable. But what do we know? On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Don't get stuck on Friday. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Always remember the third day. He overcame death. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the only Messiah, fully God, fully human. He transforms lives. He's unstoppable. The devil will be thrown in the lake of fire. This is how the book ends. This is the movement. And what do we gain from this? Resiliency. Because a resilient Savior leads a resilient movement of people who are resilient. I heard this story, and I'll I'll end on this. I so admire people right now who are risking their lives, who are serving in the hospitals, uh, physicians, nurses. There's a nurse who uh, is serving right there on the front lines, and is married with three kids. And the family together made a decision. The dad is going to stop working, and he's going to take care of the three kids. And mom, the nurse, is going to live in a hotel for a month. You say, wait a second. Is he kind of risking his job, stepping back from a month? Uh, What about her, staying away from the family, paying out of pocket for a hotel? 
you know, to keep the kids safe, but still serving. And they as a family feel like this is the safest in the one sense for the kids, but also the greatest good in terms of how many people she can help. And I hear that and I'm inspired. I think that's resiliency. That's following the Lord at a time like this. It's wise to be safe, but also it's wise to have courage as God leads us. Let's not shrink back. Let's walk by faith. Let's listen to the Lord. And let's remember who Jesus is. And let's remember that our God is unstoppable. Uh, Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray right now in hearts, this time of disruption, God, that it would be a time of conviction. And we would really settle in what we believe and why we believe it and know that. And God, I pray this would be a time of innovation, creative ideas we never expected to do, but that would really bless people and help people during this time of need. God, I pray for transformation, that we wouldn't stay the same. We would grow because of this. And God, and I pray for an acceleration of your work around the globe right now. Resources, helps, good news about you, Jesus, spreading rapidly. God, show us our role. Show us our role. We look to you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.